already introduced uh, our lesson today on the spirit of Jezebel. Uh, we are finishing up on the uh, church of Thyatira, and Jesus had his fiercest letter to this church. They were the smallest church and smallest town of the seven, but this is the longest letter that Jesus had for this church. And so we want to talk about the spirit of Jezebel. I'm not going to talk about her story so much in the Bible. I'm sure most of you are familiar. I will touch on that. The lesson is geared more to the spirit of Jezebel. And we can find that in churches. We can find it in people. It can be found in a female. It can be found in a man. And so we want to learn about the characteristics and how to identify it and possibly how to deal with it. Now, we're going to read this long letter one more time, and this would be the last time we read the letter to Thyatira, but it's important to see what all Jesus is saying to this church. He says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things, says the Son of God, he says, I have eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished brass. That means he's coming in judgment, and his eyes are like fire. All of that talks about he's coming in judgment to this church, and he sees right through them. He knows what's going on. And he says a lot of good things about this church. I know your works, your love and faith, your service, your patient endurance, and that your latter works, what you're doing now, exceed your first works. So this sounds great, does it not? And then what's our next word? Nevertheless. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because... Now this is speaking to those of us who allow it in the church. We permit it. That's who he's talking to. I have a few things against you because you're allowing the woman Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess. And she is teaching and seducing the people in the church to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. That's what she was literally doing in her time. You and I have looked at the history of the Catholic Church, and it is the same type thing. The spirit of Jezebel, which is really the spirit of Babylon, was ruling the Catholic Church during those 1,000 years. This is critical. He says, I gave her time to what? Repent of her sexual immorality, but she would not repent, even though he gave her time. And then he said, here's the consequences. I'm going to cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I'm going to strike her children dead. And during this time, there was a huge plague that killed thousands of people during this age of the church of Thyatira. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I'm going to repay each of you according to your deeds. Does that sound like the judgment seat? Yes. Now, he says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira... Our part is we cannot hold to that teaching. We can't allow it. We can't tolerate it. We can't permit it. He says, because that is the deep things or the depths of Satan. Everything she's doing is the depths of Satan. And I say, I'm not going to lay any other burden on you. If you can just keep from that and not tolerate it and not hold to it, that's all I'm asking. 
Hold fast what you have until I come. And then he goes on to give the promise about those who overcome and conquer, keeps his work to the end. We will have authority over the nations. Now he's jumped to the reward for his millennial kingdom for those who will overcome everything he just talked about. Now, I want you to look at my picture. Can you imagine you're sitting in the church of Thyatira, and remember they had those letters, and they, it was like a Pony Express, and they took them around, and the letters were read to each of the churches. Can you imagine sitting there and that letter being read to you? And you're sitting in the church. What do you think was their reaction? Their hair stood on end, just like this. Now, we have to remember, this is a real church. It was a real church in a real city, and this is a real letter that was circulated throughout the churches in Asia Minor. Now, if we go to Hebrews, we know, does God say he is going to come in judgment with a fury of fire that will consume all of his adversaries? We know that from Hebrews. He goes on to say, does he have the power to perform devastating judgment on a society? He does. And he is holiness. His holiness will not tolerate sin. It will not tolerate it. So what's his message? The basic message to this church, you repent and change or you're going to suffer severe judgment. This is the church that is going to be cast into the seven-year tribulation period. People that have these teachings and these ideas. Now, I like this one commentator's thing about uh, the church of Thyatira. He said he called it the church that has poison in the pulpit. And many churches have things that are being taught in either it could be in the pulpit it could be in a bible study it could be in a sunday school class it could be a person on tv it could be a book you're reading there is there are many things uh, that we are bombarded with that are really a teaching of the spirit of jezebel so we have to have discernment and be very careful so the church in thyatira has some problems and Jesus is going to confront two basic problems he said you're being led away from the Lord by teachings of an influential woman in your congregation and she actually is leading a group that side with her and she's leading them away from the true worship of Jesus Christ then Paul, when he left Ephesus and he was on his way to Rome, remember his warning to the church at Ephesus. I know false teachers are going to come in among you and they are going to be like a vicious wolf and they will not spare the flock. And here, it's, this goes with it, very uh, crucial. Even from your own number, men are going to arise and they will distort the truth. Remember, we've talked about the false teachers in Jude and in Second Peter, and they twist it just enough that many people will be deceived, and they'll follow after them, and the purpose is they want to draw away disciples, and they want people following them in the way they teach. They can be very influential. Now, there's another warning in 1 Timothy 4.1. 1. 
It says the Spirit expressly says, in the latter days, we're going to have some that will fall away from the faith. They abandon the faith. They depart from the faith. And what happens? They give heed because they're paying attention to a deceiving spirit or a doctrine of demons. And it's never going to have a flag or a banner that says, this is a doctrine of demons. It's going to be presented as the truth. And I like what Charles Spurgeon says. You need to pray for discernment. This isn't in your notes. It just popped here. Uh, He said, discernment is the ability to know what is right and what's almost right. That's discernment. And you and I need to pray for that. Because people will teach us and say things, and it maybe sounds good, but we have to be able to discern what is really true and what isn't. So he confronts her. He says, I'm going to expose her teachings, and I am going to tell you exactly the judgment that will come on with you if you keep allowing it and keep tolerating it. And so I'm going to uh, belabor a point for a minute because I want you to understand these two words, and they are to be uh, tattooed on your heart. All right? He's confronting the what? Tolerance. That's an important word. You are tolerating, you have tolerance for what's being taught, and you are allowing this. So what is the sin in this church, some of the people? You're allowing and you're tolerating. You need to remember those two things. Yeah, there may be some false teaching going on, and you think, man, they shouldn't be teaching that. What's my responsibility? I'm allowing it, I'm tolerating it. When you know it's false, then you can show it in Scripture. You're allowing and tolerating this woman to lead people away from the true worship of God. Do you think God will hold us accountable for other people going after false teaching if we know the truth? And you've got to be able to show it here. You've got to be able to back it up with Scripture. She's teaching them a false system of worship, which entailed worshiping idols. Now, you and I don't worship uh, images of stone and wood. But we can sure worship other images in our lives. And I think I'll have some listed here. So don't just think, well, I don't worship any idols, but yet almost all we do. And those are things that we have to get, get the Lord to really work on us about those, bring them to our minds so we can turn from that. Now, the church had become intimate with a false god and a system of worship. Will corruption increase during this time? Yes, it becomes very corrupt. And now, I know I really, we had a a hard lesson on the Roman Catholic Church last week, but that church is also this spirit. And you're going to see many, many parallels as we go through this. You're going to say, this sounds like what we saw in the Catholic Church. And it was. So here's the message to the church of Thyatira. It's the fourth church, uh, and it covers the Dark Ages from the 6th to the 16th centuries. And it will end right before as the Reformation is coming into play. So what are the words to Jezebel? What's What's our, what are we supposed to do? What's wrong with us? I'm allowing it. I'm permitting it, I'm tolerating it, and I sit and say nothing and see people being led astray. That's wrong. Now, 
Nevertheless, he says, in spite of all the good, I've got these things against you, and I know I'm belaboring the point. You're allowing the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach, teach and seduce. So you and I are not over here really with that church because most of us believe in the truth of God's word, and we study and everything. But who is he getting on to? Those of us who are allowing and tolerating. So that is for you and me. Now, you're, I think this is my last slide to say this. Do y'all have it yet? <laughs> okay. You're allowing the woman Jezebel. She's teaching and seducing and leading people out of the right path. We see that in our culture, our society. We see it in churches. We see it in our town. And she's getting them out of the right path. Now, this letter shows the depth of sin. Oh, what's that next word? Compromise. You know, you give a little, I give a little. You cannot ever compromise anything that you know to be the truth of God's word. You cannot, a little compromise is going to start you down a bad trail. It ultimately can lead to full-scale idolatry, full-scale immorality, and worst of all, you're tolerating all of it in your life. So this church has been infiltrated by the world. They're tolerating sin. So the sin is absorbed into the church and into the people, correct? Because you have a license to sin, right? Now that's what they're teaching. And then they just lived happily ever after with their error not knowing that he is going to cast that church, those people that are teaching this and going along with it, into the tribulation period. Now, this faced a problem that uh, has troubled many churches throughout history. If you look at church history, and even in today's churches, you can have a strong internal movement. You can think about your own church. I'm thinking about mine. A strong internal movement that will advocate compromise maybe with some worldly interest. And you see it because a lot of people will say, well, I don't see anything quite wrong with that. See, it's just a, it starts as a little thing, little compromise. This is Albert Einstein's quote. He said, the world will not be destroyed by those who do evil, but by those who watch them and they do nothing. That puts the monkey on our backs, does it not? Now, so for more than 2,000 years, Jezebel has been saddled with a reputation as the bad girl of the Bible. How many people name their little girl Jezebel? I don't think I know any. She's the wickedest woman in the Bible. You know, so you don't want to saddle your little girl with that name. So, you remember when they asked these questions... How depraved was she? How wicked was she? There are some scriptures that call her a she-devil. That's how wicked she is. So, let's look at her family connections. She sprang from idolatrous stock. She is the daughter of Ethbel, who is the king of the Sidonians. They live just north of uh, the ten tribes in Israel. They live on the coast on the Mediterranean Sea. They're a seafaring people. Jezebel herself is a princess of Baal. And she is a royal priestess of Baal. 
She's powerful and ruthless, and she is dedicated only to the worship of Baal. You think about it, she's been raised in this. So she's very dedicated to it. Second Kings tells us she actually practiced witchcraft. So her dad, Ethbaal, I can think of some popes that we read about last week. Ethbaal murdered his predecessor, Feles, so he could have the throne. We saw last week in the depths of the uh, period of the popes in the, I think, 900s, this happened several times. So here we are, and the Phoenicians were idolaters, and they said, oh, we recognize the God of Israel, Jehovah. He is the God of the land. That's all the credit that they gave to him. So it's believed this heathen Phoenician princes married Ahab, who's king of Israel. He's a Jew. And it was a trade alliance between Israel and Phoenicia. So this is the first time a king of Israel allied himself by marriage with a heathen princes. Now, we're talking about Israel only. This is after the split. So we're not talking about uh, Solomon and David and Saul. This is after the split. Now, as a Jew, did Ahab sin against God's law by even going out and taking for a wife a heathen? Absolutely. And her father's name, Ethbaal, meant he is a man of Baal. So Jezebel, she's ambitious, she's proud. Oh, I'm going to get to be the queen. She is going to serve and have a throne with her husband, who's a king. So as a queen, Jezebel exerts a very evil influence in all the public affairs of the northern kingdom. This has how many tribes? Ten, thank you. And she, and public affairs of the northern kingdom and the worship of the God of heaven, she's going to have a great influence on bringing down the worship of Jehovah God. So Ahab and Jezebel, we know, they ushered in the very worst period in the Old Testament. They reintroduced worship of Baal and the Asherah poles to Israel. This would not have happened if the Jew king had not gone out and married a heathen and brought her into his kingdom, in the kingdom of Israel. So for over 60 years, idolatry now is going to make terrible inroads upon the life and the way of the Israelites, dragging the nation once again to new depths of degradation. At first, it seems like Jezebel and Ahab, you know, religious pluralism is okay. Y'all can have your religion. Y'all can have yours. And some of you are going to be with Jezebel. Okay? But we can have different religions, and they seemed okay with it in the beginning. And y'all can worship Yahweh or Baal or both. This is the same thing that's going to happen at the beginning of the tribulation period because the Antichrist is going to tell the Jews, you can have your temple, you can worship like you want to. It's okay. At the three-and-a-half-year mark, no way. And he's going to cut all religions and say, you have to have the worship of Satan at that point. So it's this kind of pluralism we see in America today. It's very popular. The one thing that is intolerable in today's culture, even here in the city of Bartlesville, if I were to go to a meeting that had people from all different uh, parts of society here in Bartlesville, and I made an exclusive claim 
that this Bible is the authority and the only way to uh, God is through Jesus Christ. They would not accept it because they accept pluralism. We can have all kinds of churches here that don't even claim the gospel. In fact, they affirm LGBT. They decorate their church with LGBT. So I can, I'm not allowed to make an exclusive claim that, that this is the true way to God in my faith. So if I think my religion is a way to God, that's okay. Nobody gets upset. But if I come out and say, this, this way that I teach, this way I believe, it is the only way to God, boy, am I in trouble. And I'm considered hate speech and all different kinds of things, and the other side gets very angry. So Jezebel, after a while, she's not content that you have the option to worship like you want to or serve whatever god or gods that you chose. Now her, her whole goal, I want to exterminate the worship of Yahweh. The God of Israel, we want it done. We, we don't want it here anymore. So this is the spirit of Babylon. This comes from the Tower of Babel. This came from the priest that had the religion of the, the, the ancient gods and so forth in Babylon. Then they went to Pergamos, remember? And then they wind up ultimately being in Rome. So what is the unpardonable sin in their eyes that I become exclusive? That I say, Israel's God is God alone, and we must serve him, and we must serve no other gods. That is a terrible sin for me to say that in their eyes. So she began to systematically kill the true prophets of God. That's exactly what they were doing, the Waldensians, the Albigenses that we looked at last week. Was not the, the Catholic Church, weren't they after the true Christians? Anybody that didn't agree with them. So she was the queen and the religious leader in charge of many prophets. She had about 850 prophets. And she worked, they worked with her, and they're controlling the entire religious climate of the nation of Israel. She, had a, she was in full control of this religion. In Revelation, she calls herself a prophetess, and she has enough influence with all of her 850 prophets now. She is influencing the culture of Thyatira with her teachings, and it is permeating the town. She has the characteristics of a teacher. They're usually very seductive in their teaching, and that's what 1 Timothy 4.1 says. The Spirit expressly says that it's the seduction of teaching of doctrines and demons. And she's a teacher that's very controlling. Now, there's a red flag warning if you're sitting under that. A huge warning to you and me. We are commanded to be a Berean. So if we sit under it and just accept it, we're in trouble. We're commanded to be a Berean. Study God's word to detect all the false teachings and the false ideas. You must examine the scriptures. I don't care who you're listening to, whose book you're reading, even what I say, you go home and make sure that what I am saying lines up with this. If you find something that you disagree with and you can show me in scripture that I'm wrong, I'm very flexible, I'm very approachable, and you can come and tell me. And we'll work on it together. 
because I don't believe there's any one person that has everything all right. So we all are praying for the Holy Spirit's leading and guidance. We pray for discernment. So, but I know I don't have everything right. I don't claim to. So Joseph Seiss, who is a commentator, says, in all history, there is not another character which so completely represents the papal system. It's character its works and worship as the unclean wife of Ahab. She was a heathen, and she married a Jew. Such is the character of the papal system in its main elements. Paganism was joined to an obsolete Judaism, and all of this happened when Constantine became the emperor. And he opened the door and made everything under the umbrella of Christianity. She calls herself a prophetess, and she says, I am a teacher of God's servants. Now, the Pope complained to be the same thing, and they said that their word was infallible, and they were the only teacher of God's truth. And remember, they even chained the Bible to the pulpits. They put the Bible in languages that the common people could not read, and they said, we will tell you everything you need to know because we are the ones that had the infallible word. So she was a persecutor and a murderess of God's prophets and witnesses, same thing that the Catholic Church did during the Dark Ages. The papacy is marked by its severity towards those that stood out against its impious pretenses and its public and secret tortures and butcheries of the saints. We saw last week where they did campaigns hundreds of miles away from Rome, going up into villages in the mountains to massacre people that disagreed with them. So we want to look at some characteristics of the Jezebel spirit. And I've listed quite a few for you. First of all, she's devoted to luxury. She is full of lasciviousness. She's malicious. She's unjust. She's evil. She's shameless. She's ambitious. She's proud, but very persuasive. She is revengeful. She's cruel. She's wicked. She leads people astray. She has a false system of worship, and she wants to massacre God's people. She's full of malice. She is herself corrupt. She's a schemer. She slanders people, and she's full of covetousness. Sounds like a person I want to know. So then I've listed, uh, this is somebody who did a teaching on the Jezebel spirit, and I've listed them for you, but it's pretty small, so let's go through them. She seeks out individuals she feels are weaker to control so she can influence and dominate them. She has an unnatural sense of self-importance. She requires excessive admiration and attention. She shows arrogant, haughty behavior in attitudes. She lacks self-control, and she's unable to control her emotional outburst, and she doesn't care how it affects other people. Next, she's exploitative, she's abusive, she takes advantage of others to achieve her own goals, she manipulates, and she lies. And lying is not a big deal. She's totally void of empathy. She will falsely mimic empathy to seduce and control your victim. She's jealous and envious of others, yet delusional in believing others are jealous of her. She's defensive and combative whenever confronted about anything. 
She fantasizes about herself having unlimited admiration, beauty, power, and success. Boy, those are the characteristics of this Jezebel spirit. We're going to look at a couple of them and then go into the Bible to see how those are played out. So one of the things that she loves to do is to have control of people, to manipulate and dominate them. That's characteristic of the spirit of Jezebel. The fruit of Jezebel, what happens if she's allowed to do this? She controls people. And she will even control the surroundings. All of the surroundings have to be exactly like she wants them. She never produces self-control. She has none. She is cold and calculating. She'll use clever deceptions to manipulate others to achieve what she wants. It goes on to say, she thrives if the leadership is weak. For every Jezebel, there's an Ahab who is more passive and unwilling to confront her. God had to send Jehu to take her out because Ahab would not. She thrives in areas where the leadership is even afraid for confrontation. So, another thing she likes to do is dominate and control others in a spiritual realm. So here she is. When she came to the nation of Israel, she was an ardent idolater devoted to Baal. And so when she gets settled, she also had a zeal for the worship of Ashtaroth of the Sidonians. She's unmatched as zealous in liberal maintenance. She has hundreds of idolatrous priests that are going right along with her, as did the Pope. Remember, they came in and they brought the cardinals and the different priests and everything who did everything that the Pope said. Was he not the authority? Yes. Now, she was guided by no principle, and she was restrained. She had no fear of God, no fear of a man. But she's passionate in her attachment to her worship, heathen worship. She spared no pains trying to establish idolatry in all of its splendor. She is the outsider. She, didn't need, she wasn't a Jew. She was a, a, a Phoenician. She was the outsider. She came into the land of Israel, and she was passionate. She was determined to get the way she wanted worship to go, her religion, in all of the people of Israel. She wanted to change a whole nation. In 1 Kings 16, it tells us, Ahab took as his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and what happened? He's the king of the Jews. or He's their king in the nation of Israel. But he lets her come in, and what did he start doing? worshiping Baal and serving Baal and he even reared up an altar and a temple for Baal because they built a temple to worship Baal in the nation of the ten tribes that's how much influence she had over him and then it tells us in 2 Kings 17 they, they put their daughters and sons in the fire to Baal that was Baal worship happening in the land of the ten tribes she used divination and enchantments, and they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, and God was angry. You can imagine. Now, 
In the upper left corner, you see Jezebel giving some instructions. And you see all the little birds following. Okay, and then you see the whispers of poison into the ears of Ahab. He listened to everything she said. And he carried out because he was weaker. And she had authority. She used authority over him. It says, so what does Ahab wind up doing? He also made an Asherah pole, and he did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. That's pretty bad. And this was all the influence of Jezebel. Now, here's an Asherah pole. It is a sacred tree or pole that stood near Canaanite religious locations, and they're honoring the god Asherah, who is a, a false goddess. And she was with Baal. And so these poles, you can see they carved in the tree. It's very seductive. And this is who the, the ten tribes begin worshiping because of the influence of Jezebel and the king going along with it. <coughs> they all began to do it. So if you see, uh, Jezebel is from the area up in the blue. Can y'all tell there's a blue box on the map? She's an avid Baal worshiper, the city far to the north of Israel. Do you remember when the kingdom split? Jeroboam became the king of the ten tribes. And I think you can see the pictures. He established a golden calf way up the north in Dan, and he put another one in Bethel. And he told them, these are the gods that you're going to worship. He started establishing this. And if you see, Bethel is right across the border, is Jerusalem, where the temple would have been. And he was trying to make it easier for them to worship so they didn't have to go back to Jerusalem. He was afraid they wouldn't come back. And so, but the, the, two, the golden calf is not that far from Jerusalem. But Jeroboam had that. So has the northern kingdom already been exposed to false worship? Yeah, they're worshiping these golden calves. Then Ahab lives at Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, kind of in the pinkish arrow. All right. But he built a temple to Baal, and he also constructed and had groves of the Asherah poles because of the influence of his wife. She had 450 prophets of Baal, and they were in this magnificent temple. They called him the sun god, Baal. Remember Jesus came to them and he said, I'm the son of God? Okay, they worshiped Baal, who said he was the sun the sun god. All right, she had another 400 prophets of Asherah, and they're housed in a sanctuary she built for them. So they lived in special places, and they were treated royally. All of these prophets were housed in the palace and fed in royal style. Their duties were all of these prophets. So you think about the pope, and all of the cardinals and the priests that they had. What's your duty? Promote the worship of Baal with its cruel and its licentious rites and asterisks throughout the land. That's what they're supposed to do. So, 
idolatry is growing in the whole nation of Israel. When that happens, are you going to have spiritual and moral disintegration among the people? And it's accentuated by Jezebel's determined effort. We are going to do everything we can to destroy the true worship of God. Now, we know that several years ago, the Pope and some others started the creation of what is known as the one world religion. We could see pictures. They said Chrislam would be coming in May of 2022. And you see it actually, uh, we can see pictures of it, and they just had a dedication not too long ago. On this place, they have a, a synagogue, they have a mosque, and they have a, quote, church. And so they're bringing all religions together, and the purpose is to, that the whole world now will have one religion, and it's destroying the worship of the true God. And so here is another picture. An interfaith council will oversee the projects, and they're advancing tolerance. We've got to tolerate everything. This is almost like Constantine. Everything coming in because we have Jewish, we have Islam, and we have, quote, a church. But the goal is to destroy the worship of God, and this will be the woman that rides the beast. When you go into the seven-year tribulation period, and the beast will love her for three and a half years. But it'll be a one-world religion, and then he's going to, quote, throw her under the bus at the three-and-a-half-year mark. And no more of your religion, it's going to be the religion to worship Satan. So here's Jezebel. She's not satisfied just to get her religion established. Now I want to stamp out every remnant of Jehovah worship, and she wants to kill every true prophet of God. So here's her goal. Here's her aim. I'm going to exterminate all the worshipers of Jehovah, and all people in Israel are going to serve Baal. They're going to do it her way, what she wants and what she will establish. Her obsession is to dominate and control other people. This is how you worship. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. And she wants to bring in domination and control of her ideas, her ways. Now, there was a mass murder in 1 Kings 18. It says, it was so Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. She's out killing them all. But Obadiah, not the Obadiah that wrote the book, another guy named Obadiah, he got a hundred of the real prophets, the true prophets, and he put 50 in a cave here and 50 in a cave over here. He sheltered them, he took care of them, and he fed them bread and water. Those hundred prophets were saved from Jezebel's hand. She became the first religious female persecutor in history, and boy, was she zealous in her task. It inspired her to exterminate the worship of the true and living God. She almost succeeded in her attempt. Her strongest enemy was whom? Elijah. And he challenged the 800 prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth to a supreme test, we know, of power on the top of Mount Carmel. And we know that he was victorious. God gave him the victory. The contest ended and uh, Jehovah God was the victor. Now what happened? The people then seized all those priests of Baal and Astra, and they massacred them. Guess who's going to be really unhappy? Jezebel. Jezebel. Now, despite hearing of the miraculous powers of Jehovah, 
She refused to repent. Never will she repent. She swore, now I'm going to pursue Elijah and take his life because now she's full of revenge. She's full of malice in taking revenge against a prophet of God. So here is another thing the spirit of Jezebel will cause in people. Fear. Cause discouragement. People want to flee. Elijah wanted to flee from her because she intimidates people. So here we are. So Ahab goes and tells Jezebel all that happened that Elijah did. And all of her prophets have been slain with the sword. I'm sure she was just, as we say, fit to be tied. So Jezebel, notice she doesn't go confront him. She sent a messenger to Elijah and said, Let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Okay. She doesn't go confront. She's going to send messengers to put intimidation and fear, discouragement. She didn't kill Elijah. She simply sent a messenger to make him discouraged and after this victory, he is going to go into a fit of spiritual depression. In fear of his life, and her scheme worked. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah is afraid. He runs for his life. He gets to Beersheba, which is in Judah, south, getting close to the southern border of uh, the whole nation of Israel. And then he, spent, he leaves his servant, and he's going to spend a whole day walking out into the desert and be alone. He sits down under, this translation says a broom bush. He sat down and he prayed, God, I just want to die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He was a powerful man who had just brought fire down from heaven with his command. It seemed like we would have thought, man, he is fearless. However, the threat from Jezebel just instilled fear in him. It instilled depression. And this event is shortly after the great victory that he had on Mount Carmel. You know, many times, despair and depression will hit us following a great victory. And fear and depression hit because the enemy is ready to attack us. So, notice... Jezebel is not repentant. Did God give her time? He gave her time. He brought things so that she would repent, but she would never repent. I will not repent. A lot of times, they will never take any blame. It's never their fault. I have nothing to repent of. Her stubborn refusal to see and submit to the power of the living God is going to lead to her hideous end. If she would have repented, there would never have been a dog to take her out. No dog, no Jehu. She had an extraordinary force of character. She was savage and relentless. This proud and strong-minded woman was always carrying out her foul schemes. A gifted woman, she prostituted all of her gifts for the furtherance of evil. More evil more lies, more deception. Her misdirected talents become a curse. 
So she's very persuasive, but her influence is wrongly directed. She's resolute above other women, and she uses her strength of character to ultimately destroy the king and destroy all of her offspring, as well as she polluted the life of the nation of Israel. Jezebel has stamped her name on history as the representative of everything that is designing, crafty, malicious, revengeful, and cruel. So I ask you and me, just think for a moment, what kind of mark are you going to leave on your family? What kind of mark will I leave? We need to think about that because Jezebel left a mark that none of us want to leave. Think about the mark you're going to leave on your family. Jezebel is a name which means in all ages a striking proverb for seductive power, worldly subtlety, wickedness of the very worst type. And I have some pictures just to show you. The, this is where the spirit of Jezebel has infiltrated churches across our land, even churches here in Bartlesville. So we have, we have people that are using the, the LGBT, the rainbow, and all of that, and think they're worshiping God. And so we have another one here, even taking the Lord's Supper. This is blasphemous to me. This should not be happening. And then here is a church. It says, we are affirming, inclusive, we embrace love, and we explore faith. And they have the banners out there. Here's a, some other people that are deceived. And this is a spirit of Jezebel, really, that is infiltrating and permeating, especially young adults, and now even in our children. And sh they're out at a, an event and said, gay, lesbian, straight, bisexual, transgender, whatever, we are part of God's diversity. And this is from shepherdinitiative.org. So you, you're going to see many times do they use religious vocabulary. They just have different definitions. And then here's another one at a pride event. Do not deny us and post no hate. So everything a lot of us would say would be considered hate speech. So Jezebel was a corrupt tree. Corrupt to the core, we might say, to the root. Jesus used a striking figure to illustrate the continuing influence of evil emanating from a life destitute of godly principles. No godly principles at all. So in a passage in the New Testament, in Matthew, Jesus said, Do men gather grapes of thorns? Or do they get figs of thistles? He says, A good tree will produce good fruit, an evil tree produces evil fruit. What sort of tree is your life? She's a corrupt tree. She brought forth evil fruit. He says a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. So we go and start looking at her children. A rotten root, rotten branch, everything connected with her became contaminated. Her offspring even imbibed and continued the wickedness they grew up in. And then Jezebel's evil influence was revived in her daughter Athaliah. Where did they take Athaliah and kill her? Horsegate. That's where we're doing spiritual warfare. And they took Athaliah out, 
And he said, take her out, because it's on the palace grounds, take her out and kill her at the horse gate. Then her malign character reappears in her eldest son, Ahaziah, who was a devout worshiper of Baal. And then her second son, Jehoram, was another corrupt fruit from a corrupt tree. Now we know also this is, this is a major characteristic of a Jezebel spirit. They are a schemer. Treacherous schemer, which will end in a tragedy here. She reveals how despicable a woman Jezebel was lo- the corrupt tree. Okay, Life was cheap to such a female who always had murder in her veins. They had a beautiful home, a palace in Samaria, they called the Ivory House. They built a second palace in Jezreel, just 25 miles north, like a, a home because it had a moderate winter. So they already have two things, right? Two beautiful palatial things. But Ahab coveted that fruitful vineyard which belonged to Naboth. And he went to Naboth and he said, I want to buy this from you. And Naboth said, I'm sorry, it's not for sale. So that's the story. Israelite law and custom dictate the family has to maintain their land in perpetuity. Is this God's land? Yes, and this had been part of his, inher- his family's inheritance. So God had forbidden the Jews to sell any of their paternal inheritance. Naboth is just obeying God's word when he says, I'm sorry, I can't sell it to you. As an Israelite, Ahab should have understood that. Thwarted, though, in what he coveted, <laughs> this is like a tantrum of a toddler. He went to bed, refused to eat, and turned his face to the wall. With her Phoenician background, Jezebel went into him because in Phoenicia, the king's requests were never denied. And so that's what she was used to. She cannot understand that the king in Israel is subject to the laws of God. Because over here, the king's word was the authority. So now... She says, get up from the bed. You exercise authority over Israel. You can take anything you want. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you. Here she goes, the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So the treacherous scheme begins to unfold in 1 Kings 15. Her false, listen, you're going to see the spirit of Jezebel. False accusations and slander were a method to control people she hated or whose possessions she wanted. She was prepared to murder to gain the desired possession. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name because he's the king, although she's giving all the orders, and she sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. So we had forgeries. Do you remember last week's lesson? There were all kinds of forgeries from the Catholic Church during the period of the Dark Ages. Now, she, her plan is to seat Naboth, give him a place of honor. But we have two scoundrels that she's gone out and found. 
that are going to sit on either side of him and be a witness to bear witness that he blasphemed the God, the, against God and the king. Totally untrue. Now, he was taken out and stoned and his innocent life was gone. She went back to uh, Ahab and she said, Guess what? Naboth is dead. Get up and go take position, possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you even for money because he's not alive now. He is dead. Naboth's sons were also stoned so that there would be no heir to the land and the land would revert back to the possession of the king. Such a single-minded determination to have your way, no matter who is destroyed in the process, that is the Jezebel spirit. So Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So as, there, as we're going through all of this, you're going to see that the idol worship meant to them more than just the breaking of the first two commandments of the law. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. This little golden calf is cut into different sections showing some of the things we have as idols. A career, a family, money, ourselves, ourselves. Entertainment, religion, pleasure, fame, success, our comfort, our, oh, wanting approval from everyone. Uh, power, culture, our possessions. So there's many things that we can have for an idol. So I want to consider the sins King Ahab and Jezebel committed with the Ten Commandments. This was an interesting study. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the next one says, you shall not make an idol, you shall not make for yourself an idol. So were they guilty of those two? Yes. She brought Baal worship to Israel. He permitted it. He did whatever she said. You can tell she is running the show. And so then it was spread throughout the land. You have many of the Israelites now who are going after and following her and what she is teaching. So if you and I turn from truth, even though there's evidence, What's going to happen? Will I start believing the lie? And then you start loving the lie. And before long, you are going to be somebody's puppet. And you will be believing the lie. And no one can move you off of it. You'll believe it. You think you have a license to sin. You think everything that they're doing over here is correct when it is not. Number 10, thou shalt not covet. This one was broken. Ahab and Jezebel, they had the summer palace at Jezreel, but he wanted a vineyard convenient to his palace. A powerful people acquire one thing after another, but in all of their acquiring, do they ever really get satisfied? Never. We know that. So Thoreau said, A man is rich in proportion to the number of things I can leave alone. Can I leave this alone and that alone and that alone? I don't have to have it. He said, then you're rich. 
He goes on to say, superfluous wealth can buy superfluities only, but money is not required to buy one necessity of my soul. He goes on, thou shalt not covet is the last of the Ten Commandments, but perhaps it's the most difficult to obey, to not covet. He goes on, because coveting deals with hidden desires of my heart, a covetous heart will lead us usually to disobey all the other nine. So I have heard preachers say, work on not coveting as the Holy Spirit to take away that spirit of covetousness in your heart because if you start coveting, you will begin to start breaking all the other nine. So the, the key here is to not have a covetous heart. So look at number nine. The sins they committed... Uh, number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The truth, truth is the cement that holds our society together. And when truth is gone, everything's going to fall apart. You've got to be under truth. So truth, George Orwell said, truth is the new hate speech. That's true, isn't it? During times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. And Isaiah, he said, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away because truth has stumbled in the public square. One translation says, truth has been thrown on the ground and stamped on it. And uprightness cannot enter. Jezebel was a resolute woman who never allowed the truth to stand in the way of what she wanted. Didn't matter. She fabricated an official lie on official stationery sealed with the official seal of Ahab. However, no amount of royal adornment can change the fact that they were breaking God's law. She didn't care. Number six, you shall not murder. The procedure that she outlined about setting Naboth up getting two witnesses to testify and all that, that was the correct procedure. But the accusation was false. He did not blaspheme God. The witnesses were liars. She went out and found men who would agree with the lie to make, him, uh, to make Naboth guilty. The judges had been bought off by royal intimidation. In every town, one of my commentators said, every town you're going to find some men of Belial. Worthless fellows who will do anything for money or to be important, to look successful, or to have status. You'll find them. Nobody but Ahab, possibly Jezebel, heard Naboth's refusal to sell. Because Ahab went to Naboth. And it doesn't record that anyone else was around. There was nothing in his words that could be interpreted as blasphemy. So if you would go around and ask people, did you hear him say that? No. Did you? Did you? No. They wouldn't have found anybody except the two that would lie. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Consider the sins King Ahab and Jezebel committed and the commandments they were not to steal. We have weak rulers. 
weak rulers that Jezebel could lord over. Naboth city followed, the weak rulers in Naboth city followed Jezebel's orders. Whatever she says, we do it. Conducted their illegal trial. They took Naboth and his sons outside the city and they stoned them. Nobody in the family was alive now who could inherit the land. So Ahab felt, I'm free to take it now. But the land really did not even belong to Ahab. It didn't even belong to Naboth, really. He was stealing the property from whom? From God himself. So in 1 Kings 21, it says, There was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. See, he was a weaker person, and he allowed her to drag him into all this wickedness, all the lies, all the deceit. The Jezebel spirit is always in alignment with the religious spirit. It's always going to look like it's a religious thing, and you follow that instead of the truth. The evil she perpetrated was under the guise of religion. This is her religion. And she uses her influence to lead people away and astray from God's word. Her goal is always control. Her spirit is always motivated by her own agenda. And she relentlessly pursues it. She doesn't care who is hurt in the process. Because she can't share with empathy. She never accepts guilt. Did she ever repent? No. She doesn't repent, and she's always defensive because it's always somebody else. When we sit back and allow wickedness to go unchecked, we invite the anger and judgment of God. Isn't that who he was speaking to in the church? Those who allowed it, they tolerated it, they permitted it. When false doctrine is being preached, those who know the truth have a duty to stand up and do something about it. And I would say, if it's coming from a pulpit, you go maybe with another witness and go privately. We must never, Tozer says, we must never allow the majority to overrule the clear teaching of the Word of God. Never. So there are some churches that pride themselves on their tolerance. We've looked at this Lakewood church, very tolerant of everything. When what is our command in 2 Corinthians? We are to come out and be separate. Come out from among them and be separate. That's God's command, and that's what he expects from you and me. Now, if I compromise my standard to appeal to the world, I turn back on truth. Is that correct? If I begin compromising, and here she is, Jezebel. It's the spirit of Babylon. Is it very alluring, seductive, always? It is the spirit of Babylon. She will use anything she can to draw you into that. And what is God's command? Come out from Babylon. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. If I just let my wall down with a little compromise with the world, the world's going to stop until it's taken everything 
that I have of value, everything we value, we will be left with nothing but the anger of a holy God. And I close with this on compromise. When we open the door to let the world in to our life, to our church, don't be surprised if the Lord walks out because he will not stay in that situation. Let's pray.